We are both in a kitchen right now. Recording. focus quite a lot on consumer society, capitalism. Of course, yes. then we focused on art rather than businesses and the health system. But this is a discussion we are uh, glad to make some future time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's uh, interesting because uh, there's a lot of like discussions, I was thinking, that suddenly seem not as topical or not as relevant in these times. And then especially like things like consumer society and uh, everybody going on holidays every year and what their life is oriented towards getting a good job and earn money and then uh, buy products and have nice vacations. And then, but that's not something you can really do in these kinds of times. It's really a different situation. Yes. I mean, what does consumer society mean in times like these? Mm -hmm. So there's things you can say, of course, that there's economy, there's debate on what should we prioritize, of course, human beings, like lives, lives of human beings, but then the economy gets hurt. On the other hand, there does seems to be a big priority in, in the first instance in many countries still to save lives. And the economy was put on a lower priority, and now we have to face some of the consequences of that as well. What do you think? I think all this uh, has basically questioned a lot of choices in the past of on a state right. level. So what was uh, being given funding in the past? Of course, this wasn't the public health sector, as it seems to be the case in many, many countries. It, it is a very interesting thing to say that uh, I'm here in Athens. I chose to return back uh, to my homeland as you did. Uh, you returned to mm -hmm. your homeland. And uh, I was very surprised to see that uh, Greece actually had a much faster response, better response mm -hmm. to this pandemic rather than other more economically stable, stronger, more robust financially states such as the UK. Mm -hmm. It was obvious that uh, it became a priority, I think, for the UK to keep the businesses open rather right. than uh, give the, the order for the lockdown much sooner. Yeah, because in the Netherlands, it's the same generally as in the UK that they re reacted late and also that we now find out that we have a very low percentage of intensive care facilities per thousand persons or something like that so very very low and there are many people here now who are on intensive cares are being transferred to Germany they have been reacting faster and more you know with more urgency and they have apparently and that, that refers back to the, the choices in the past they have like if the Netherlands have five IC beds per thousand persons I don't know something like that the Germany has 30 three zero so they have way more and that's just because we went along with the UK with privatizing and saving cutting budget costs on the healthcare system we had a very efficient healthcare system but it not really suited for such pandemics and then even with a late reaction you get really quickly overburdened so now luckily there's germany and there are people transferred to that uh, region yeah just to alleviate the atmosphere uh, there is a joke here uh, we say in greece uh, we say 
uh, when is the coronavirus uh, going to pass? Because we are looking forward to the financial crisis that's coming after it, because we are kind of experts. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I get that. I. I mean. Yeah, it's joking. I shouldn't be joking about this stuff. I mean, it's. It's. I. I'm not very clear on this. I'm. I'm still confused about many things. But I still, of course, now is the whole discussion. Also, the Netherlands being very harsh on the euro bonds, like helping countries that are affected with money oh, yes, that's yes. centralized, yeah. of course. So because they want to protect their low interest rates that they can uh, borrow money from on the markets because they haven't been borrowing as much. They want to keep that. On the other hand, you could say, like, I don't know how you see this, but I think in the Netherlands, they would now see it like we did it the right job because now we have not a total lockdown. There's some economic activity still and the curves are flattening. So in the end, maybe it's a good way to go because if you lock it down completely, what will be the consequences? You have to listen to the people in the Netherlands. This is also how we discuss our situation in comparison to the Italian one, is that apparently in the Netherlands, we discuss with people who are over 80 if it's necessary for them to go to the IC because it's almost, it's very unlikely that if they go and get the ventilation, that they will survive, right? Oh, wow. That's, uh, so, that's and, but, in but in southern countries like Italy, there's no question. Everybody gets help. Yeah. So this is really weird. So the system is coping in the lens and seems good and the curves are flattening. But at the same time, the death rates are pretty high. Yeah. So you have to, all the, have to take this all into, into account. But it's also in the end because econ economy is very important. There are very many like entrepreneurs who are vocal. And that I think the general feeling is that this is not a bad thing. Now we're talking about hidden death. So there are like way more deaths that have been than that have been reported because many people who are old will just be like in in discussion with the practitioner are asked to just maybe you want to stay at home and you know not die go to there. the hospital and and die and there's and there's also a positive side because you then get lots of basically uh, morphine so you have like a nice old age end of life do they you, allow you're you to not, stay with your family well no no not anymore i think but that was also i mean it's easier to have contact with your family if you're at home than if you are in hospital because you're absolutely not allowed to in I think that plays along with it as well. And the amount of hardship and pain you have if you go to the hospital instead of like just being at home and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the difference. It's hard. It's a very hard discussion. Right. So I, I, I feel that it's not easy. Like sometimes it's easy to be critical and leftist or towards the state's decisions. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk postmodernism. Yeah, but what? So, so did postmodernism end here? So, what? What talk about what we think or what? What attracts us in the concept or the idea of postmodernism? I mean, I have my reasons that I think are different from yours. So maybe you should talk a bit about your reasons why you're attracted to this term because there are not a lot of people out there anymore that's really talking about it. So we, we chose this topic. I'm a literary critic, Jörg, uh, I think has studied theory, mm -hmm. uh, right? Jörg, and he's a philosopher right mm -hmm. now. So uh, we were discussing on what are our common interests. Turns out we were both attracted by the concept of the political unconscious, which was mm -hmm. a very big concept discussed in a reading seminar. And then moving on from Jameson, I think we decided to choose Harvey and Jameson mm -hmm. and talk about about postmodernism. It was a really nice opportunity for once to introduce something more uh, artistic, cultural yes. to our fellow colleagues. Because usually we kind of rotate around the same topics. 
and I think this is the interesting thing about postmodernism has been defined as almost anything and um, uh, as a a literary movement, artistic movement, uh, political, as a political stance, as a periodizing concept. So we thought, okay, let's uh, engage in that. We really like Harvey and Jameson and particularly we chose quote the text so that uh, the audience can know. Harvey David, uh, Chapter 3, Postmodernism, from the book The Condition of Postmodernity. And we chose from Frederick, Frederick Jameson, Chapter 1, Postmodernism and Consumer Society, from the book The Cultural Turn, Selective Writing. So these are two texts where they basically introduce their topics. I think Harvey even gives a rough description of uh, the differences between modernism and postmodernism. They were critical in uh, defining the key concepts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because they are both Marxist, and I was always like interested in it from it being a Marxist analysis, because it has been also defined in many other ways, as you said, like in in art and in literature. But also people that are not necessarily Marxist, but have taken this up, and and it has been taken up in political ways, in like a, in like an engaged positive way, like declaring themselves to be postmodernist. Even in art, there have been movements, but they're also like it has been used pejoratively. But then it's it's more of a, like a identifying concept for your politics and your orientation than an analytical po- concept. So I, w- I was always interested in Jameson's take on it as really like a really analytical take on the change in the, in the mode of production of late capitalism, capitalist production. So, but if you approach it, how do you approach it? Do you, do you approach it like in an analysis of an, of an artwork or piece of culture or are you because that's that's the thing that's in Jameson both things are in Jameson so the analysis of culture but also the analysis of the, the base but how, how have you approached it like how, how would you say like in my research or in my career as a scholar I've come to an artwork and I was like okay this is I can I can use now this concept of postmodernism have you done that not really because I write in the restoration so um Restoration right, drama. So okay. I, I haven't really. Yeah. Um, well, there there are there is a line of uh, criticism of uh, you know people uh, using much much more recent theories to go back and read very very uh, older texts. But that's not my um, epistemological line. However, I think uh, this was one of the aims of the seminar that we had. Uh, approaching the concept from different angles. Mm. I agree with you because I remember you put some uh, pieces of journalism. I threw in some poetry, uh, productions, theatrical plays. So we were very keen on listening from our colleagues. How do they meet this concept of postmodernism in their disciplines? Here I think we should say that there are huge differences in um, terminology and how you define postmodernism among the thinkers of postmodernism, like uh, Bart, Derrida, Baudrillard. So there are huge differences. So we uh, are talking specifically in this one about Harvey and Jameson. Hmm. I think our line was to define a few key concepts for the two hours that we had. And I remember we started with defining modernism. And here your Mm -hmm. uh, Kant expertise will come up. (laughs) Because, of course, postmodernism, if we etymologically explain it, is the reaction to modernism. So you have first, say a few words on what is, was, Mm. how does postmodernism is a reaction. And as a few scholars have said, and we have quoted them, uh, it's an Oedipal relation 
So on the one hand, they they hate modernism. They don't want to be like the modernists. On the other hand, they are filially attracted to modernism. So they can't really avoid yeah. it. Maybe it would help to just pose one definition of modernism. And I have one mm-hmm. here from our seminar presentation. This is from uh, Dr. Mary Clages. Modernism tends to present a fragmented view of human subjectivity and history, but presents that fragmentation as something tragic, something to be lamented and mourned as loss. Many modernist works try to uphold the idea that works of art can provide the unity, coherence and meaning, which has been lost in most of modern life. Art will do what other human institutions fail to do. Postmodernism, in contrast, doesn't lament the idea of fragmentation, provisionality, or incoherence, but rather celebrates that. And uh, I, I remember I told colleagues there, uh, here's two very famous examples, T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland on uh, modernism and mourning, lamenting the, the human experience, the predicament of being human, and uh, versus Allen Ginsberg's How which uh, mm-hmm. a, a gener- two generations later, in uh, 1955, comes to give a rather celebratory uh, stance on this, although it starts from a very low point on uh, the tragic alienation that uh, everybody has suffered in his generation, ends up as being a very celebratory poem in life. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. We also talked about, I think, uh, foundational truths, and the importance of uh, moving beyond foundational truths, much more beyond completely deconstructing them in postmodernism. And it's also a move beyond elitist, I think, politics, elitist art. We gave some examples, I think, on that, such as uh, pastiche and the broken yeah. discourse. I could understand it in this way, that if you see... Well, I'm, there seems to be a sense of that... Okay, if I think of, of the Kant and the German idealist, that that's just that seems to be still some kind of optimism but it's it is already a bit it's less of uh, optimistically rational as the early moderns like Descartes or Spinoza would just like or really think that if you have proper reason or maybe Voltaire or all those guys in the 18th century pre pre French revolution basically that think that if you have science and rationality, you can just improve, improve, and you, things will get better. I think that already begins to crumble a bit with Kant and with Hegel. And because with Kant, it's always very tricky. It seems to me that there's a progression possible, but that's always, it's not any more grounded on a, on a definite knowledge of God, because you cannot really know who God is. You don't have access to that. He also acknowledges there's a lot of strife and hardship and war. And also he has to acknowledge that the French Revolution became very violent. Pure rationality became very violent. That's a subject. But still, politically, the 19th century is still also the age of socialism, utopian socialism, Marxism, progression. So maybe in another way, we could still go further. And then modernism. I think if you talk about modernism, that, that's also part of an art movement. That's even a bit later, right? That's even post-1848, that area. If you think about... Um, what is really modernist art? I remember artists, I don't know what their name, is it David or something? Like They're still like French revolutionary, post-French revolutionary artists, and they're still very classical. Mm-hmm. They're like, there's pictorial figurative painting. And then only in the late 19th century, you really get Kandinsky and Picasso and uh, really, really high modernism. And that's really still, that's even more mournful about the loss and still try to construct something that gives some coordination. Mm-hmm. So still you're in a modernism, but it, it seems to get 
less and less secure about the foundation, but still wants to keep something of creation, creating something of a new world, but maybe way more uh, critically. I always understood it in this way that from the Marxist perspective, from Jameson, you can look at it and beginning to think about it as how capitalism develops. And capitalism develops from maybe even after, like in the in the Middle Ages already, but very, it's not really everywhere. There's just some small patches. There's something in um, happening in the northern Italy and Venice, beginning to trade. Portugal is going to, with their boats all over the world, colonize and stuff. And there's trade and the system is slowly developing. But there's still merchant capitalism. And it develops and it develops. But what it means is that at a certain point, like, Definitely in the 18th century, with that moves up into the French Revolution, the Marxist analysis would say bourgeoisie is now so developed, they have their trade, they have their factories, they have stripped all the nobility of their powers. They're only in name the power, but not in the real economic power. And with that, I mean, the system is still developing. They have not yet their, uh, their political power, but they have economic power. But still, there are large patches of peasant life still. So this is what Jameson said. There, Modernism and modernity thrives on this difference between we are developing and there's still an old countryside mm-hmm. and there's nature and there's not yet every there are not yet factories everywhere. There are factories in cities, around cities, but then you have the countryside. Well, these countries or areas are underdeveloped, so they still need development. So we have a modernization program to catch up. But at some point, I mean, I don't know how it is in Greece, but then I think it's the same. But the Netherlands, you don't have farmers, you don't have peasants, you have agribusiness. You have like entrepreneurs who farm. And that was also a big, big change. Like, I think only 3% of people produce all the food for, for the whole world. So there is no really a, a countryside anymore. Yeah. Maybe in some kind of mythic sense, but it's if you go to the farmer, he has big machines. And so at some point, same you could say about for Jameson about bureaucracy. If the state is just developing the bourgeois state, it needs to register everybody, and it says everybody's equal now, and everybody speak the same language in this state. But that's not the point at which every already speak the same language. It needs some time, and that's 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 progress. Mm-hmm. So you have this reflection in the culture that there should be some there's progress and at some point we will we will get at a better state. But that's some uh, in in our lives, we don't even question bureaucracy. It's just when you're born, you're part of it. It's not that something is trying to grab you into the state. You're already there. So all this differentiations between we're still outside and we're getting somewhere in that's gone. So then uh, the whole idea of all kinds of cultural ideas and philosophical ideas, like if there's no nature anymore left because everything's subsumed from the capital, why would you even make a difference? Why would you even try to have a science that reaches beyond something that's real nature or something? All kinds of divisions crumble. And so you can have this Marxist analysis and then look at culture and you see, well, of course, there's nobody that wants to try to move further. It doesn't make sense anymore. But there's nobody who wants to go to back to nature anymore. Does it doesn't make sense anymore. So a couple of things uh, to add. Um, maybe it's helpful here to uh, say that modernism and modernity is not the same thing. Um, right. And uh, modernity, um, according to a lot of historians, starts with the first transatlantic slave trade, meaning the beginning of uh, colonialism. Also, as you said, postmodernism. 
comes as, as a reaction to modernism because modernism has already been all those great works of modernist authorship, modernist art have already been canonized and institutionalized by the time we reach postmodernism. So uh, there's nothing radical about being a Picasso in the postmodern era because it has been now being taught in schools for so many years. It's no longer something right. radical. And this is what the postmodernism are capitalizing on. So they are like, they, they know that a lot more people have access to um, cultural knowledge. Uh, they have a lot more, uh, uh, they have access to all those works. They have access to education and they build on that. So you see all those references in like even kids series. You can see a reference to a great painting of uh, the modern era. And it doesn't shock you because it's, now institutionalized, it's canonized. And this is why postmodernism always, I think, strives to be more reactionary and more um, revolting. At the same time, it always pays homage to modernism. It doesn't even, at some points, it doesn't even try to imitate the great art that was uh, produced then. We were talking a lot on that seminar about consumerism and consumer society. I specifically gave three poems to my colleagues. They were all uh, talking about the same uh, road in America, uh, the Merritt Parkway, because we were talking about the urban space, because David Harvey uh, focuses a lot on architecture, and this is one of the greatest, the easiest ways to understand postmodernism looking around you. And I gave them uh, Denise Levertov's Merritt Parkway poem uh, written in uh, 1986. I also uh, gave them Robert Bly's Merritt Parkway uh, poem uh, written in 1962. And the last one was uh, G. Murray's Myth-Making of the Merritt Parkway. Remember that word, myth-making, written in 1979. All of them had something common. They were all talking about the experience of driving in that long road, watching the really nicely built houses along the road, uh, stopping on the gas station, having a cup of coffee. Uh, I think I think some of the people commented that even though they've never been to that place, they could imagine that they've been there because it reminded them of so many roads that have been in their life. So mm-hmm. yeah. what is unique about the postmodern experience? Capitalism makes... This makes some sameness, let's say, mm-hmm. everyone's experiences. So why would I have the same picture in mind with someone that has lived in the States and has been in that role when I read that book? It's, but it's the same for all of us. We go to the gas station, we grab a cup of coffee. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. What is the modern myth-making? What is the postmodern myth-making? What are the capitalist myths? And perhaps they are the... Right. The, the, the things we talked about when we began our discussion. Well, you can no longer go buy your uh, clothes, your nice clothes, and show your nice clothes. It doesn't matter anymore. You can no longer enjoy your real nice cup of coffee out in the streets. It doesn't matter anymore where you buy your coffee. Nobody cares. You are confined in your, uh, in your house. <laughs> there, there is something very eerily captivating about living in different, completely different lives and yet seeing the same things, consuming the same thing. If you talk about myths, I mean, uh, wouldn't you say that in uh, modernity, if, if there was a myth, there was a myth of a common humanity. But, exactly. but there was in a, in a situation in which there was real difference. But the, wouldn't you say then 
if you think about our times that our myth is cultural difference i mean that's that's i mean that's something if you think about uh what you eat what kind of music you like it's not that you want high modernist art that's all like really doing trying to do the same thing but you want specifics you want difference you want food from all kinds of world uh, regions of the world you want to acknowledge that there are different cultures but that's interesting because that precisely in the moment when everything in the base level is flattened out like it doesn't matter if i'm from here and there's another culture over there we can still we can talk we can exchange our services because we can we, we share the same monetary system so we can we can pay each other and enjoy all the differences so it's that seems to be interesting but that's also problematic because what does that mean for cultural difference right mm. i mean one thing that we talked about in the seminar about the new right and right wingers who you should think about right wing as well in terms of modernism and postmodernism and also modernism and anti-modernism if you think about i i don't know what your views on this are but if you think about uh, fascism and nazism it's not that they it's not the same as communism which which is really like totally universalizing but also fascism and uh, nazism are based on a specific culture a specific country and different from others so this is the dark side as well like and this is really interesting because on the other side it seems to be and that's what we also talked about and now we're getting more in the the political stuff we should maybe get back to your poem again (laughs) connected to that but but that was the poem i mean it uh, inspired my uh, thoughts so that's good so on the other hand we also talked about that we need the postmodern moment even to break up that myth of common humanity and to see that that myth also engenders racism classism sexism that was also so important for the postmodern movement so you have this i mean i think if i i like what i like about the concept is that it's there's a lot of friction and it's not really clear but still at the same time it seems to be really pointing to something and i think maybe people are getting away from it because it's so jarring at the same time yeah. So it's. I still think it's relevant in many ways for many things that are going on, but it's also like you never really get it like clear. Yeah. And that's maybe. I, and I you think don't I, care about what... clarity anyway. No. You shouldn't, no, you shouldn't well... care about clarity. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I. Yeah. And I think this is no, one no, of no. The, the challenges that we faced in the seminar. This, this was one of the challenges because. As usual, uh, you say the word postmodernism, and there are a thousand preconceptions before you even utter another word. People were very critical of the art we presented. Uh, you know, yeah. saying it's not really art. Uh, people were very <laughs> critical of how political the, the political ideology of uh, postmodernism. So, for example, if you um, just open a few podcast episodes, it's very likely that you'll find people uh, saying someone postmodernism and meaning you are apolitical or find the exactly the exact opposite claim using the exact same word so it's it's a very uh, muddy ground um, but at the same time and this is what we really stressed in our presentation 
postmodernists allowed for all those voices that weren't heard before to be heard because exactly mm. it broke down the barriers of high culture, high politics. You have to be yeah. the status of a certain education to do this and that. Yeah, and you it have to be a white man this. to do that. <laughs> exactly, it broke, broke down all this. It had, you have to be a white old man to write the uh, yeah. story. It's, yeah. So this no longer exists in postmodernism. And this is what allowed for uh, other voices to be heard, black mm. uh, animal uh, animal rights advocacy yeah. to be heard. And this is the, the beauty of it. So at the same time, yes, uh, yes, some things have been leveled. Uh, yes, not all art is as beautiful as a, a classical <laughs> statue of uh, Renaissance uh, would be. But at the same time, you have to appreciate how everyone has a goal at voicing their own experience. Right, 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 right. But that's that's certainly true. But still, at the same time, it is very important to see as well that people are getting tired of it, have been already yeah. for some, for decades, artists mainly, but also political movements. They were so sick and tired of postmodernism. And they were like, of course, as artists, they want to create something new. So they want to oppose the... I mean, one of the arguments is that postmodernism is now in the academy. This yeah. is what you get yeah. taught in if you do if you do the academy of arts, you are told to do conceptual art, right? Is you're not told to do a beautiful art, or just you're told to to do performances. Yeah. And and they wanted to break with that. So and but the strange thing of metamodernism, I mean, they were also the theorists that tried to come up with this new term. Also saw in politics that. After 2008 and after that, people were, they were suddenly confronted with the fact that they had no narrative of progress anymore. No narrative, no modernist narrative of where are we heading, that they are now trying to search for modernists and uh, and modernist language to regain something uh, to talk about where should we go now? Because they were like, they bought a bit into this, the idea that postmodernism is basically a relativism. But you cannot really go anywhere from here to somewhere else because it's, it's all, in the end, all the same. It's interesting that they, they're trying to get back to modernism, but they don't want to do it in a straightforward way. They want to do it in an ironic way. So, well, that was, that was their whole idea. It's, it's really strange because you could even say from certain postmodernists, that they already were doing that. And what you even can do is, if you have this whole postmodern narrative, you can read Kant and Hegel in, in postmodern terms. Like They're already very ambiguous about all kinds of claims. And critique is critique of reason means that reason is not capable of explaining the whole world totality. It's yeah. not capable of that. So my point is that aren't we already, if we take that seriously, in a like a end of post some kind of phase that wants to reject period that comes before on the one hand so th that would mean that we're in a meta-modernism or post-post-modernism but at the same time doesn't also make clear that this is the the whole movement that was already in the modernism from the beginning like this ironic modernists were i mean they were some were claiming that modernists were enthusiasts and postmodernists were ironic but you as a literary critic i would just say they're modernists that are ironic, right? Of it's course. not that irony is that they were just fanatical yeah. enthusiasts. I think the I think so, the concept of the death of death of God yeah. starts there. And this is right. a huge, huge thing in the terms you are discussing. Yeah. 
Like they were very critical. Not um, <laughs> yeah. modernism is. That's why I I, be, I began saying it's postmodernism is adequately attracted to it. Yeah, it is critical in itself. Yeah. At the same time, it's elitist. It uh, mm. it alludes a lot to um, classical works. It's still not as consumed as postmodernism mm-hmm. is, or at least it wasn't in the in the era it was being. But uh, yes, I totally agree with you. But that that was the point from the beginning. That's so for me philosophically, to uh, make is maybe it's also a time to get at that. But that's tricky because then you would go back to also a universalist move, like saying there's something universal in this whole modernist period from modernism to 